0: Well, good morning hope it's good to see you all this morning uh, <clears throat> my name is Rick I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church I have to kind of uh, share that at the front I've been here for 14 years uh, some of you may have meeting me for the first time because I spend most of my time at the Mount Laurel campus but I'm really glad that I'm back with you this morning uh, I have to preach twice though once in Mount Laurel so I uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to just do my best to just hold up the, keep the energy level. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll be fine. Uh, but I'm glad that I'm here with you. It's exciting. Uh, I look forward to uh, uh, to this time as we uh, continue in this series that we're calling What Counts. It's uh, when, uh, when we count something, that means that we place value on it, right? And we, we all do that. We all count different things. As a matter of fact, here in this building right now, while you're sitting here, there is counting that's taking place. There's someone in the back over there who's counting the backs of heads and uh, we're counting those, and someone is out in the kids' ministry wing, and they're counting as well, and they're counting those little heads. And then there's even people, we just received an offering, and so that is being counted as well. And so we count all sorts of different things, and when we count them, we're kind of placing some value on those things. So what does what counts in church world? And so last week we were talking about that uh, uh, that influence counts that we Uh, who are we influencing and and how are we influencing Uh, the other thing that's interesting about counting is that uh, when pastors get together we talk about things that we count as well when pastors get together this is usually what we talk about we talk about bucks butts budgets and buildings uh, butts, 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 bucks, budgets, and buildings. Yeah, and and uh, sadly, those are not things that uh, Paul talks about with Timothy. But for some reason, that's what pastors end up talking about often when they're together. Uh, I, one thing that I think is interesting that I want to mention is: uh, Did you see in uh, on Facebook? If you follow our Facebook page, uh, that there was someone who figured out what really counts. Uh, she's seven years old. And she decided for her seventh birthday that instead of uh, birthday gifts, she wanted her family and friends to make donations to our Hope's food pantry. And so on Monday, uh, this seven-year-old delivered all of those items that were for her seven-year-old birthday. She knows what counts, doesn't she? Right? Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth clapping for. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that was pretty neat. Uh, pretty. Uh, I was here when that was going on, and uh, I didn't get in the picture, uh, but I, I was here, and uh, it was exciting to see them bring all those things in that, uh, that were from uh, from her birthday party. So we're using uh, Paul's letter to Timothy actually wrote two letters. We're using those letters as our framework for this uh, series. And uh, early on in that uh, in that first letter, Paul tells Timothy, here's why I'm writing to you and, and, and here's the reason. And uh, w- the reason that Paul was writing these letters to Timothy is that there was some teaching that was going on in the church or near the church that was causing an influence on what the church was teaching. So the church teaches about Jesus And there was some other teaching that was taking place in the city, the city of Ephesus, that was uh, different and was causing some uh, uh, controversy. It was contrary to the teachings of the truth, Paul says. And so Paul is concerned with that teaching. So if you're reading through the uh, the letters uh, that Paul wrote to Timothy while we're in the series, I know at least one small group that's doing it. It's a great thing to do. You just kind of uh, read through the letters or read through the chapter of the, uh, or the book of the Bible that we're preaching on. I love when I hear that people are doing that. Uh, so as you're doing that, though, if you're reading through the Timothy letters in the first letter that Timothy wrote, in the second chapter, you come upon this place where Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying some things that can cause you a pause or say, hey, wait a minute, where do we fall in that as this church called hope? And if you read in that second chapter, it seems as if Paul is saying that women need to appear modest. They need to wear certain types of clothing and hairstyles and jewelry. And there's even a verse about being quiet and not teaching men. Now, obviously, here at Hope, we don't follow this teaching from Paul to Timothy. We have plenty of women who are leading and plenty of women who are teaching and have authority here at the church. And we don't adhere to a dress code policy. Thank goodness this is as dressed up as I can get. All right. Uh, We also don't have concerns about hair, which, again, big relief. All right. And uh, we, we just don't have those kinds of concerns. So the question, though, that follows is, so why is it in there? Or if it's in there, why don't we have to follow it? So uh, I give you three words that I think will help in understanding, especially that chapter, but also all the chapters in the Bible, is the three words are background, context and meaning. So some things that are important about the background that's going on uh, behind the scenes with Paul and Timothy. So Timothy is a young pastor in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is the uh, uh, the world center for Artemis worship. Now Artemis was a female goddess of fertility. And it was her world headquarters in Ephesus. So the majority of those who lived in Ephesus were Artemis worshipers and knew about Artemis, and you were required if you lived in that city and had a business to be an Artemis worshiper. And so Artemis was the teaching that Paul was concerned about that was going on in that city in that time. It was contrary to Jesus. Artemis was also only led by female priestess. And if a male wanted to be a priest in the Artemis worship setting, he had to go through ritual castration process. Yeah, Oh, and the crowd went wild. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. so all of that is the background for what's going on when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Some context is also important. So some context is this is a personal letter that Paul was writing to Timothy. Paul wrote lots of letters. Often he wrote to churches. So he wrote a letter to the Colossian church. He wrote to the Ephesian church. He wrote to the Philippian church. And when he those letters were written, they would be read out loud to the congregations. But when Paul was writing to Timothy, it's a personal letter that Paul was writing. So when we're reading it, it's as if we're reading Timothy's mail. And we're also—it's—it's it's as if we uh, got his Gmail password, and we're looking at his email, right? Because we don't get letters anymore; we get emails. And so that's the way we have to understand the context of this letter that Paul wrote to uh, uh, to to Timothy. And Timothy's mandate was to correct the teaching that's taking place in the city of Ephesus. So that's background and context. And then the third piece is meaning. There's some Greek words that Paul uses. There's one specific Greek word that Paul uses about authority, and that word is only used in that letter to Timothy. There were several other words about that had the same meaning or similar meaning as authority, but Paul chooses not to use those words. He only uses this one particular word. And if you want to know more about that, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, but you can read about it because Randy Peterson wrote up a really nice paper a nice uh, uh, one page paper on the second chapter of uh, first Timothy we have it out in the lobby you can grab that on the way out the door but if you want to talk more about why Paul said those things and what they mean I would love to talk to you afterward after worship or again uh, check out that article from Randy it's at the info desk and I think it's uh, scattered around and uh, um, <coughs> excuse me that was all. A commercial break. Now we move on to preaching. <laughs> so as I read the stories of Jesus, I notice there's a pattern that Jesus followed. i talk about this. It's kind of, again, background before we get to the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. So as Jesus uh, practiced this pattern, I noticed that it was—it was, it, he did it in every time he met with people. Jesus was drawn towards people who were far away from God. People who were far away or felt they were far away from God. Jesus was drawn to be near them. So when Jesus is having conversations with a woman from Samaria, that's someone who would be, she felt she would Far from God, and Jesus was drawn towards her. Jesus was drawn towards the bl- blind people. He was drawn towards lepers. He was drawn towards uh, those who were demon possessed, and all of those people would have been classified as far from God. But yet, Jesus was drawn to be near people like that. Jesus even had a conversation with a woman, uh, with a man called uh, that we call the rich young ruler. And when Jesus met with that gentleman. He walked away because he couldn't follow through on the commitments that Jesus was suggesting, the challenges that Jesus was suggesting. But yet it says that Jesus loved him, even though this guy wasn't going to follow through on these challenges. And so what I notice is that Jesus understood that we have this need for belonging as people, that we want to feel a sense of belonging. What would it be like for someone who believes that they're far from God and they can't be near God to find out that there is, God wants to be near to them. Imagine what that experience would be like. And so this idea that Jesus demonstrated was, uh, this practice is that people who are far from God can be drawn near to god and they can feel that they can belong so i decided early on in ministry that i was going to, try to practice that technique and so one of the things i would do is find ways to invite people to be part of community right it's what we do here at hope all the time as well we want people to feel that they can belong So, uh, before I became a pastor here, I was a youth pastor at another church. And when I was pastoring at that church, uh, we started our youth ministry and it was a small youth ministry that had 15 or 20 students. Then they were all church kids. And as we spent time there and started growing and started doing some things, we noticed more and more kids were coming. And it was just the exciting thing that happens in the youth pastor's heart is to find out that students that you're meeting with were engaged and inspired and enjoyed their experience so much that when they went to school, they talked about their experience and they wanted their friends to come to church with them. And so we found that we had kids, church kids, were inviting not church kids to come to church, And so we had this thing on Wednesday night where we did a worship service, very similar to what uh, uh, happens here on Sunday nights called Sunday Night Live, where where there's a youth band and there's, there's, uh, 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 you know, youth kind of things going on, but a youth worship service. And we were doing the same kind of thing on Wednesday nights. And we had students who were bringing their friends to church. And I'm like, this is exactly what it's all about. This is what the church is supposed to be. People who are far from God can be invited to belong and feel part of something. And so I thought this was just exciting and wonderful. So when you bring non-church kids into the church, non-church kids don't know how the church functions or how the church works. And so non-church kids will do things that church people aren't used to having happen. And so there was one time there was this mom who was there with her kid for something else younger. And she came up to me. She said, Pastor Rick, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, what's up? And she said, there's a lot of kids in the building. And I'm like, yeah, there sure are. There's like a hundred of them. I'm like, there's lots of kids in the building. She said, some of them are using foul language. And I said, only some of them? <laughs> like, yeah, that's pretty good for us, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, and they're, they're kind of rude like, yeah, but guess what? I said, there are 3,000 kids in the high school and a hundred of them are choosing to come to church on Wednesday night. Isn't that a good thing? She didn't think so. She missed the idea of belonging. Jesus understood that. Jesus practiced that. He wanted people to belong. And what happened in in, in these these relationships that Jesus built with people is as they felt that they could belong, there became this moment where they believed. So the woman uh, at the well that Jesus spoke to has this experience of belonging and then there's this belief that takes place in her life. There's people throughout the stories of Jesus who began to believe that Jesus not only was inviting them to be part of community with him, but he was inviting them to a changed life. And so there's a sense of belonging that became belief. That's where the story of the rich young ruler becomes so sad is that, is that he was loved by Jesus, but yet he chose to walk away and so there's this idea of belonging no matter where you are no matter how far you away no matter how you feel about god and then there's this moment where you can believe and then we believe here and i see it in the stories of jesus as well is that from belonging to belief there's becoming And there's this life transformation that takes place. Here we say we're in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. That there's this becoming that takes place in our lives and our lives change. And you can see that through all the stories of Jesus as the people that he meets, that there's this sense of belonging that turns into belief that becomes becoming. And really, that's no different than most relationships. Uh, My wife and I, Kelly, have been married almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years in August. And uh, we met, we weren't married. Right? You get that? Right? See where I'm going here? All right. Uh, When we met, it was Rick and Kelly. And I wanted to belong. You know what I mean? And so we began... By belonging, we started liking each other. And it was Rick and Kelly, and it became Rick and Kelly. And then somewhere in that belonging time, we started to believe in this relationship. We started to believe that there was Rick and Kelly, but Rick and Kelly was better, and I liked that as well. And so, so we went from belonging to believing, and we started to believe in that relationship. That it was going to be a Rick and Kelly thing. And then as that happened, as we went from belonging to believing, it also became, i got to stop using became, we started to become Rick and Kelly. So I noticed in my life that it started out that it was only making decisions about me, and now it was decisions about Rick and Kelly. And I had to change how I thought about and lived life. See how that's so similar to our spiritual lives? We start out belonging and then we believe and then we become, our life is transformed. And it happens in every relationship. So surprisingly, Jesus is doing this thing in ministry that is so connected to the way that we relate with each other. We wanted to feel this sense of belonging. We want to believe. And that belief leads us to life transformation. So that's all the background before we get to what Paul had to say to Timothy. up on the screen he writes in second timothy chapter 2 verse 14 repeat these basic essentials over and over to god's people now i'm reading it from the message version because i think it sounds so much like a letter it just works really well repeat these basic essentials over and over to god's people warn them before god against pious nitpicking which chips away at the faith it just wears everyone out paul says Concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you won't be ashamed of. Laying out the truth plain and simple. Stay clear of pious talk that is only talk. Words are not mere words, you know. If they're not backed by a godly life, they accumulate as poison In the soul. Now remember, Paul is writing to Timothy because there's some bad teaching that's taking place in Ephesus, the whole Artemis thing's going on, and people are hearing conflicting ideas as truth, which can cause some uncertainty and some doubt and some unbelief. And so Paul says, This is what matters, Timothy. What we teach, how we communicate Jesus to the world matters. And so Paul tells Timothy, repeat these basic essentials over and over. And if you read the verses before that I just read, those verses before, Paul is talking about Jesus. So he says, Timothy, talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then when you're done, talk about Jesus some more. Repeat that over and over and over again, Timothy. Just talk about Jesus. Concentrate on doing your best for God. And then words need to be backed by a godly life. Now, this is not about standing on a street corner or knocking on doors to tell others about Jesus, it's about how we live and how we practice our life at home and work and school. See, what's fascinating, in the first century, the church was growing exponentially. People were coming to to, to Jesus over and over and over again, and it just kept happening. And at the time, there were no church buildings. There were no professional pastors with theological educations. There was just a guy like Timothy who had just grown up in the church, and Paul said, you're in charge now. And yet somehow, the church was growing exponentially, the argument easily made that the reason the church was growing is that the way that the men and women were living in the cities and in the towns was different than the world around them. See, again, we're in Ephesus, and Artemis worship is all around, and everyone there is part of the Artemis worship because Artemis was a fertility god. So if you, wanted children's and cro- if you wanted children and crops, you needed to worship Artemis. And Paul says, here's the basic essential, Timothy— it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Talk about Jesus, Timothy. Live your life about Jesus, and the world will see how you live, and the world will be drawn towards it. There was open hostility towards Christ followers, both socially and politically. But yet if you talk about Jesus, if you live your life around Jesus, if you choose to live like Jesus, Timothy, it will grow and grow and grow. And so, people saw how these Ephesian Christians were living. They lived this different life, so much so that in Acts, the people who were the early church were called the way because they were living the way of Jesus. They were living like Jesus. And so this lifestyle evangelism in the first century, I would argue, is just as important, if not more important, in the 21st century. The church is considered, the church worldwide, is considered irrelevant, judgmental, overly political, sheltered, hypocritical, and homophobic. I would argue that the lives that we live matter. And that the best teaching that we can do is to teach what it means to live a life with Jesus. That we can invite people to belong and hope we're so good at that. We love inviting people to belong. We do events over and over and over again where we are inviting people to belong, where we're inviting you to invite people. So things like our tree lightings and our pre, even our preschool and kids' environments, our, our, our last week's Super Bowl party even, uh, summer concerts, our Sunday morning lobby with that giant info desk is there for a reason, because we want people to easily be able to get connected so that they can feel that they belong. The reason we have a campus in Mount Laurel is because we think that there are people in Mount Laurel who need to belong to a, to a community of faith, and we want people to belong. Belong. That's why we do the things that we do. We want to invite people to belong. And we think this is a great place to belong, don't we? I've been coming here. I've been, actually, I've been coming here since you guys paid, started paying me. Uh, (laughs) 14 years, almost 15 years in January. And uh, uh, I love this place. I love being here. I love being a part of here. I have no intention of going anywhere else. I think there's great things that we do here. I love, I am proud to be on staff and to be a pastor at this place. But I want to share with you that there is something even better than hope. That belonging here is really good and that people can feel connected. But we want people to feel that they can belong because we want them to believe in Jesus because Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Amen. This is a great place and we want people to belong, but we want them to belong because we want them to believe that Jesus loves them no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, and no matter what what they've thought about God in the past. I know that Jesus changed my life. I know that Jesus has changed your lives as well. I believe that my relationship with Jesus has been and always will be the best thing that has ever happened in my life. And and this is the only reason that we challenge you to invite others here is because we want others to experience Jesus as well. And we believe when they feel that the, the warmth and the friendliness and the comfort and of belonging in a community of faith like this that they'll want to know what makes this place different, what makes it tick, in a sense. And if you're here and you say, Hey, I feel that belonging, but I'm not believing yet, you're in the perfect place. We're so glad that you're here because we are sure that you spend enough time here, you are going to discover that there's a God that loves you more than life itself. And so we believe Jesus changes lives. Hope doesn't change lives. Jesus changes lives. It's Jesus's job, and it always will be, because we are in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. And when we are in that process, we discover that after we felt this sense of belonging and we begin to believe that it's possible that Jesus would love us and forgive us, that we realize we're becoming like Jesus. And that's where this life change takes place. This is where we discover that we can be good teachers of the word. Because where we live can be influenced by our lives. The places that we work, the schools that we attend, people are watching how we live our lives. And they're noting how we live them differently. It has an impact on our world. And it changes people's lives. So let me read to you from Paul one more time to Timothy. I want to try to bring it into the 21st century. He says, repeat these basic essentials over and over to God's people. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We live in this world that's isolated and polarized currently. It's a world of extremes where if you want to belong, you have to believe what I believe first. And yet, the church is offering a countercultural message. We're saying you can belong, you can be a part of this, and we can choose to believe different things. There's this incredible mistrust of the church, and the church is at best irrelevant. At best, it's fairy tales. Paul says, concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you won't be ashamed of, laying out the truth, plain and simple, that we can belong without believing. Let's have a friendship, a genuine, honest relationship. No strings attached. That's the, that's the way Jesus modeled this lifestyle. He said that there are people who are far from God, and yet we can draw them nearer, and we can choose to be near them and bring them close to God. Paul's challenge is that we can repeat the, uh, 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 what is most important is belonging. It leads to belief, and backed by a godly life, in other words, the way that we, choose, the what we, what we, um, uh, profess on Sunday is lived out Monday through Saturday. It changes the world around us. I have this challenge as a pastor of a church. Um, I hang out with all church people. Um, everybody I work with goes to church, you know? And, uh, of the people in this room, maybe more, uh, don't work at a church. So there are people, men and women, that you see that I will never see, that the staff here will never see. And they're already uncomfortable around, especially, you know, the kiss of death conversation. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor. Cricket, cricket, cricket. (laughs) There are men and women that you will see that you work with, you go to school with, that you run into in your neighborhoods who may never come through these doors. But yet, a sense of belonging can lead to belief and becoming. That they're watching how you live your life, and they'll be drawn. Towards you. They'll say, how is it possible during trauma, during, during drama and and and, and when struggle, yet, yet they're 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 confident and they're they they have this faith that is is it seems real. They're living this way of life that's different. And they'll be drawn to conversations about what that is and what that looks like. I would hope during those conversations that you would share about the belonging you felt at Hope or other places and the belief that you found in Jesus and that Jesus is causing this transformation so that you're becoming this new life that's abundant, that's fruit-filled and life-giving. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a closing song. It's a song about Jesus, surprisingly. And I just want to close with this idea that there's this life cycle that seems to take place in the church. And, and I believe, again, it's part of God's plan. Is that, is that as we sense, have this sense of belonging, that this, this belonging, this, this realization that I, even though I feel far from God, I can still be part of this community, as, as, as that turns into belief and that turns into becoming, we are in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What's the last part? It's the part everybody remembers, right? Yeah, for the sake of others. It's this life cycle that takes place, that we get to introduce others to community and belonging and introduce others to this life of faith through Jesus. And I am fascinated by the work that God continues to do in this place and because of this place and through your lives. And I know that God's going to continue. Amen.